in the book of 1 John, studying through the book of 1 John, and the series has been called I Am a Christian. And we've discovered some things about what it means to say that you're a Christian. We've discovered that if you say you're a Christian, that that means you believe in Jesus, that you have God's spirit alive inside of you, that you choose God, not the world, that you live like you're forgiven, and that you love other people. And lastly, we're going to talk about the last thing that helps us know we are a Christian, and that is to walk it out. So if you say, I'm a Christian, what you're saying is, I'm going to walk that out. We probably all know the phrase, don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. And that's what a Christian does. And John is going to do a great job of very seriously communicating with us what it means to walk out being a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, John uses some of the strongest language in the New Testament to communicate that we are supposed to walk out our faith and how important it is to walk out our faith. Let me share some of those verses with you this morning. The first one is chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He said, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In chapter 2, verse 11, he said, But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. Because the darkness is, I'm sorry, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So when we aren't true to one another and love one another, then we actually, John says, are not living in Christ at all. We're walking in the darkness. In chapter 3, verse 6, John said, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That's pretty serious. Now listen to this one. This is verse 10, and this is the strongest one. This may be one of the strongest verses in the New Testament about walking out our faith. John said this, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Whoa. Today we would say John has dropped the mic, right? He just laid down the gauntlet, man. John is saying, okay, you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. Whoa, that's pretty serious language. Those are pretty serious words. I would say that John is, would have not been a very good politician. Not, not very good in the political arena. Doesn't know how to say things in a politically correct way. He just... He's kind of like Donald Trump's tweets, right? That's what 
I mean, could you imagine getting this tweet from John the Apostle? You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. Pick which one. I mean, that's pretty serious. But here's what I find interesting. Sometimes, not all the time, in fact, only sometimes, but sometimes there are things in our life that are so serious that we need something to grab our attention. There are some things in this life and in this lifetime that you and I experience that are so important that it needs language to kind of shake us up. And that's what John's doing. Because what he's trying to do is help us as Christians and help the world as well understand that a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ and living in the Holy Spirit today is the most important and the most serious thing you will ever do in your life. In fact, this decision is so serious that not only will it affect your consequences and your lifestyle here, it will also affect your eternity. So because it's so serious, John doesn't hold back. John just comes right out and says it because he knows that our life in Jesus Christ and understanding who Jesus is and believing in him and living for him is the most important choice and lifestyle we ever make. And walking out this relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing we do. Now, I'd like to spend most of our time looking at three verses in chapter 2. In chapter 2, there's three verses that I think summarize what John is talking about, but also give us two practical things that we can do in our life that help us understand how to walk out our faith. Look at these verses with me. John said, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now here's what John is saying. And it's even in quotes in your Bible. It's because in the first century, there were people saying the exact same thing that people say in 2019. I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. Yet they weren't walking it out. They weren't living it out. They weren't obeying God's commands in his word. And John says, listen, there's two things that prove that you are a Christian. You obey God's word or you keep his commands and you live like Jesus did. I'd like us to look at those two things, dive into them a little bit this morning and see if we can apply that to our lives. Because here's what John is saying. 
He's saying there's actually a tangible way for you to evaluate your life with God. There's actually a real tangible way that you can figure out if you are living for Jesus. And it's simple. Are you obeying his word in the Bible? And are you living like Jesus did? If you are, then you can absolutely say, I know God. I'm living for him. I'm in relationship with God. Because what John is saying is quite simple. He's saying we prove that we know God and that we have a relationship with God when we keep his commands and obey his word. Now, this concept is totally understandable to us. It's tried and true. If you say something about yourself, then you have to prove it with your actions. That's what John's saying, right? So if I say, I'm a 49ers fan, do I need to have a 49ers shirt in my closet? Yes, I do. And when the Seahawks play the 49ers, do I need to root for the 49ers? Yes, I do. Even if my team is the worst team in the league and everybody gives me grief about them constantly all the time, do I still need to live for them? Yes. If you say to me, Pastor Mark, I heard you talking about fishing the other day. I love to fish too. Could I go with you sometime? And I say, great, that would be fun. And I call you next week and I say, hey, Jim, would you like to go fishing with me? And you, Jim says, yes, I would. And then he says, could I borrow one of your fishing poles? And I say, whoa, hold on a second. You don't have a fishing pole? Well, no. Well, I thought you told me you liked to fish. Yeah, I do. But you don't have a fishing pole? Something's wrong with that, right? I love Jesus. I like Jesus. I'm a Christian. But I don't read his word and I don't even obey his commands. There's something wrong with that, right? That's what John's saying. That logically, we all know if we say something, we have to live that way. We can't just talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. And we prove that we are in relationship with someone when we submit to their authority. For instance, you have a great relationship with your boss at work by obeying the rules and regulations at work and by following through and completing the tasks and responsibilities that your boss has assigned to you. If you don't follow through with the things your boss has asked you to do and you're disobeying the rules and regulations at your workplace and you're making it unsafe or difficult to work there, then you and your boss are going to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting, aren't you? <laughs> and your boss is going to say, hey, something's not working here because you don't obey the rules and the regulations and I've given you about five things to do this past month and you haven't done any of them. Is there something wrong here with our relationship or, or the workplace? And you might have some valid reasons why you don't like to work there, but eventually your boss is going to say, you know what, we really can't afford to have you here anymore. And the concept is tried and true, that if you're going to say something, you have to follow through with it. 
And John is saying the same thing is true in our faith. John said it this way. We have come to know him if we keep his commands. If we keep his commands. See, our obedience to God is declaring that we know and believe God. When we obey his commands in the Bible, we are acknowledging something. We're declaring something with our life and with our actions. We are saying something that is very important to ourselves and to the world. What we are saying is, I have a relationship with God, my Father. We're saying, God is God and I am not. That's why I obey his commands. We're saying God's ways are better than my ways. We're saying God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts, that his wisdom is greater than my wisdom, and I'm going to follow him. We're saying God's truth is the ultimate truth, and that's why I follow it. We're saying that God knows what's better for me than I know for myself. In fact, I've dreamt up things and thought up things that would be great for my life. They weren't even close to how good God wanted it for me. That's why I follow him. That's why I obey his commands. Because I recognize as I read the Bible that what God is asking me to do is to live and treat myself and one another and this world in a better way than I could have even thought up. That's why I love him and I keep his commands. See, the proof is in the walking, not the talking. We prove how we feel about God by our obedience to his truth. We show the world that the Lord is the most important relationship we have by keeping God's commands that we find in his word. Listen to the beginning of verse five and how John says it. I love what he said. He said, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in us. I think that's probably what we all want. What we probably all want is a love that is being made complete in us. A love that is whole, that is healthy, that is real, that's not fake, that is complete and total in its entirety and it is generated at us, but doesn't stay inside of us. It flows in us and through us and out of us to a world that needs that same kind of love. That's the kind of love that John says can be made complete in you as you learn to obey God's word. Because as you read God's word, you will learn and understand how to love God better and how to love people better. Keeping God's commands and obeying his word is a first way we walk it out and prove that we are a Christian. The second way is a little bit more challenging, <laughs> a little bit less rule-like. The second thing John said is to live like Jesus did. Now that sounds a little bit more lofty, doesn't it? <laughs> You mean to be like Jesus, just like Jesus? Yes, absolutely. The end of verse five, into verse six, John said, 
This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, this is a little bit more complicated, but John says, whoever claims to be a Christian must live as Jesus did. Now, John is not saying you must be perfect. He's not saying you have to be perfect like Jesus did. He's saying you have to live like Jesus did. And what John is saying is this. When Jesus came on the planet, one of the things that astonished so many people about Jesus was that he lived his life with God the Father totally different than the religious community was telling them to live. <coughs> you may have a little bit more coughs along the way. How many have had that head cold going around? Oh, man. It hit me hard this week, and I've been trying to get through it. First service was a little rough. So far, I'm a little bit better, so hopefully that can be the end of it. Back to Jesus. John's not saying we have to be perfect like Jesus, but here's what he is saying. There was a specific way that Jesus lived his life. There's a specific way that Jesus carried himself. There was a certain way that he treated people, and he talked to people, and he encouraged people, and he built people up, and he loved people, and was gracious and kind. That's what John is talking about. That as you read through the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will discover that Jesus wasn't like anyone else. And that we are called to live that way. In fact, the word Christian means little Christ. It means you're like a little Jesus in the world. Now I discover as I read through the Gospels, that there are several things I just love about Jesus. Let me share some of those with you. And while I share these things that you can see about Jesus as you read the New Testament, ask yourself this, is this the way I try to live? The first thing that I notice about Jesus over and over again is that he was relational, not religious. Jesus was relational, not religious. Relationship says, I love you, and I hope you love me, and I just like hanging out with you. I love being with you. Religion says, follow the rules. You didn't follow the rule? Put your hand on your desk. I'm going to smack it with a ruler. That's what religion says. Jesus said, I don't really live that way. Now, I do follow the rules because I love my father, and I'm in relationship with my father, but what I really want is a relationship with you, simply because I love you, I like you, and you're pretty fun. See, Jesus was a relational person. In fact, we find all the time that Jesus was getting lost and hanging out with his father because he loved to be in relationship with the father. And for him, life was all about making relationships. And so throughout the New Testament, you see all kinds of groups of relationships that Jesus has created. He had three really close friends. He had 12 good friends. Okay, 11, 11 good friends. One of them was not such a good friend, Judas. 
but he had 11 good friends. He had 72 close friends that he sent out and they were his disciples too. And he sent them out into villages ahead of him and they would pray for people and people would get healed and all that would happen. And then about 500 people were around him after his resurrection. There was a lot before, but after his death and resurrection, about 500 people that began to take the gospel into the first century. Now, because Jesus cared about relationships, he was always putting people first. He was gracious, kind, and compassionate, and loving to everyone around him. In fact, that leads me to the next thing that I love about Jesus. I notice all throughout his lifetime that Jesus always called people up instead of calling people out. Now, follow me. Jesus had tons of opportunities to call people out, but he didn't call people out on their stuff. He called them up, like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is an awful man. He's the IRS times 100. It's the worst you could possibly be, right? I mean, he's ripping off everybody in town. He's stealing from everybody in town. He takes their taxes plus a little bit more to line his pockets. And Jesus comes into town, and Jesus is so amazing and so loving and so generous and so compassionate and so profound that even Zacchaeus, even somebody with a dark, cold heart, climbs a tree to see Jesus. And when Jesus comes into Zacchaeus' town, sees him hanging out in that tree, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I want to go to your house for supper. Now, here's what you and I don't understand, because it's not a part of our culture as much. But going to somebody's house for supper was a great honor. Especially if you were the authority in town or somebody popular in town, it was a great honor to be invited to that person's house or to go to that person's house. And so here comes Jesus into town, and the person with the worst reputation, the worst sinner, the one who's ripping everybody off and that everybody hates in town, that's the one that Jesus honors publicly. Jesus was calling Zacchaeus up instead of calling him out. And he went to his house and he hung out with tax collectors and he forgave Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus' life was forever changed. How about the woman who was caught in adultery? She's caught in the act of adultery. I'm assuming with a man, but the man's not in the story, so they kind of left that part out. It's kind of lame, don't you think? So they just throw the woman at his feet. Where's the guy? What? Takes two to tango. What's happening here? So the woman's thrown at Jesus' feet, and they say, in the law, it says that if a woman is caught in adultery, we should stone her. What do you say we should do? Now, could Jesus have called her out and called out her sin in that moment and said, yep, that's the right thing to do. Somebody get me a rock. Absolutely. He completely could have, but did he? No. Instead, he confronts their sin and their dark heart. And then he tells her, he calls her up. He says, where's the people who accuse you? She says, nowhere. He says, then I forgive you too. If church history serves us correctly, that woman was Mary Magdalene. She was one of the three women at the cross at the end of Jesus' life. She followed him to his death. 
Why did she do that? Because he called her up instead of calling her out. Over and over again, we have these stories of Jesus calling people up instead of calling people out. See, he accepted the rejected and he called people up. Let me ask you a question. Do you do that? Do you call people up or do you call people on their stuff? Let's be people that are like Jesus. Let's call people up instead of calling them out. I also find it interesting that Jesus never cared about popularity. Like he never cared about being popular. And what's probably interesting, I mean, this isn't a biblical thing. It's just a Pastor Mark thought. But I'll share it with you because you're my friends. I think before Jesus came to earth, he was the most popular person in the universe. I mean, he's God. He created the planet. Every spiritual being knows who he is. The demons and the angels all know who he is and love him. And he's the most popular person in the entire universe. And he comes to earth and he doesn't care about popularity at all. He simply just doesn't care. When he would heal people and touch people and help people, do you remember what he would always say? Don't tell anybody about this. (laughs) What do you mean don't tell anybody about this? I'm telling everybody about this. I had a legion of demons in me and now I'm free. Of course I'm telling everybody. But Jesus would say, don't tell anybody. Because popularity really doesn't matter to me. See, I think Jesus knew who he was. He knew his relationship with his father. And he didn't really care what the world thought about him because he was so secure in his relationship with his heavenly father. I find it interesting that Jesus wasn't prejudiced. In a time when his culture, the Jewish nation, were one of the most prejudiced people around, there were Jews and Gentiles. In other words, there's us and everybody else stinks. (laughs) That was the thought. He grew up in that, that environment. He grew up in that thought process. He grew up in this idea, this framework, this horrible religious system that said, we're cool and everybody else is not. And it never affected Jesus. He wasn't prejudiced. He loved everybody the same. And he was always looking for someone different than him to love on, take care of, to heal, to touch. A woman at a well in the middle of the day, you didn't talk to women in the middle of the day. But there's a woman who's different than me and is struggling and hurting. I'll go talk to her in the middle of the day because I'm not prejudiced. I'll go talk to that centurion because he has a servant who is dying and he cares for his servant and I care for all of my servants. And I'll talk to that Gentile. Over and over again, Jesus would do this. In fact, one of his greatest stories He uses a Samaritan, a half-breed, as his example of the love and care of God. He wasn't prejudiced at all. The one thing that I find interesting about Jesus, too, was what made Jesus mad. Jesus wasn't mad very often, only a couple times in Scripture. But here's what's interesting. The one thing that made Jesus mad... Religious hypocrisy. 
The one thing that made Jesus mad were people that talked the talk, but didn't walk the walk. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law that were supposed to be the ones that were modeling what Jesus was like, they were the ones that were never walking the walk. It's a good lesson for us this morning. A couple more things, but I got to hurry because I've got 48 seconds left. He didn't let power go to his head. There was nobody more powerful on the earth than Jesus, and he never let it go to his head. He never treated anyone improperly. He never abused his power. He didn't humiliate anyone. He didn't abuse his power. He didn't treat someone poorly or crush someone just because he could. I love the fact that he made points with stories. Do you notice that about Jesus? He's always telling a story. He didn't act like a highly educated professor, yet he knew more than every professor who's ever lived on the planet combined. He's the smartest guy in the room and he never acted like it. He's the smartest guy in the room and you never knew it. He's the smartest guy in the room and he never talked to you that way. He simply would love you with his words and his actions. I noticed that he prayed a lot, all the time, he was talking to his dad, to his heavenly father. I hope you do that. He served others more than himself. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said about himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. There's something extraordinary about the end of Jesus' life. On the night before he was betrayed and went to the cross and served us in the greatest way, he was having the last supper with his disciples. You'll remember that moment. And in that moment, Jesus did something profound. He washed their feet. Now in that day, Everybody wore sandals, no Nikes or Adidas. Everybody wore sandals. So your feet were always dirty. So when you came into a home, most often what would happen if you were a little bit more wealthy, you had a slave or the lowest servant in your home would wash your feet as you came in. So that you wouldn't get dirt in the home but it was also a way to honor you as you came into their home. And on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he washed his disciples' feet. He was modeling that good people, godly people, serve others. And then several hours later, Judas betrayed him, and by morning, he was hanging on a cross. And he was dying, not only for his friends, but for his enemies, and for you, and for me. He served others more than himself. But lastly, and I think this is most important for you and I, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, this is important for you and I because the same spirit that lived in Jesus and helped Jesus be who he was and helped him treat people a certain way and talk a certain way and live a certain way, the same Holy Spirit that was in him is in you. Now, I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but if the same spirit that was in Jesus is in me, doesn't that mean that I can live the same way Jesus did? Yes, it does. If the same power that was in Jesus is in me, doesn't that mean that I can have the same power that Jesus did? Yes, it does. So what's the challenge? The challenge is you and I sin. Jesus was perfect. But that's why throughout the New Testament, you'll find verse after verse where you and I are called to live and to walk in the Spirit. Because as we do, we begin to live like Jesus did. And that's the goal. That's the hope. Would you stand with me? Over the past six weeks, we've been talking about what it means to say, I am a Christian. And this morning, I'd like us to end with a declaration, with a confession, with a bold coming out party, maybe. And it's gonna be very simple. On the screen, you'll notice the things that we declared about what it means to be a Christian. And if this is who you are and who you want to be and what you'd like your life to be like, I'm gonna ask you to boldly proclaim that this morning. Now, here's what I want you to know as you proclaim this. You're proclaiming it to yourself. You're proclaiming it to us. But you're also proclaiming it to the demonic community that loves to thwart all these things. So would you declare it with me and have power over everything in your life as you declare what it means to believe I am a Christian? Ready? Here we go. I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I have God's spirit in me. I choose God. I live like I'm forgiven. I love you. And I walk it out. Could we declare that one more time with this song that we used this morning to declare what it means to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's sing it.